Hello and welcome to another episode of the Self-Care Unit. This week, we're back at it with another Ask a Nurse episode. You know how these work. I ask the questions and our lovely nurse co-hosts, Carly and Sarah, give the answers. In the process, hopefully, we all learn something and maybe spark some important conversation. Let's get started. Right into it. Well, I should tell you guys the topic before we begin. Uh, the topics for this episode that I want you guys to tackle... Um, the main one is debriefing, but then we have like a sort of secondary topic about when things go right. But uh, first of all, how are you guys doing? Doing good. I had a dentist appointment at 11 and I had to get three cavities filled and my front no. tooth was chipped. And so I got all four things done and I elected to not get numbing for the podcast because I was like, there's no way I was going to talk. <laughs> And so I sat through the pain <laughs> because I love the commitment. You guys. <laughs> I was like, can't even tell. Yes. yes, because in the past, if and they would have had to numb both cheeks because it was one like it was two on one side, one on the other. So it was going to be a problem. And I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to fight through it. And it worked out. And now I can eat whatever I want all day. <laughs> that is badass, girl. <laughs> Um, it's been a week to be completely transparent. Um, I finally just got over the sickness. I had like that overnight coughing and it would not go away. Finally sleeping better, went back to work. Uh, but my boyfriend's grandpa passed away this week unexpectedly. So we're going through it. So this episode goes out to Opa, RIP, but, um, it's, it's been a week. So we're just taking it day by day, just supporting the family. So, yeah, hopefully it gets better. Yeah. Sorry to hear about that. Send in love. Yeah. Where is, where was the grandpa? Um, he lives here in California, but um, had a little slip and tumble and elderly, you know, very unfortunate. But yeah. So just yeah, trying definitely. to be there for the family. But on happier note, um, I feel like, mentally I've been doing a lot better. I know this is not a mental health matters podcast, but I feel like I've, I always feel guilty when I have to call off work knowing very well that I'm sick and I'm sure everybody can kind of feel that in their own way. And this week I was like, no, because coughing is one thing. I think a lot of people are triggered post pandemic anyways by coughing. And the last thing I need is to wear a mask for 12 hours at work and just the dryness and everything makes it so much worse. So I called off and I did, had no regrets. And that is a win in my book. <laughs> a win is a win. <laughs> a win is a win. <laughs> Glad you guys are both doing reasonably well. Because um, we're kind of talking about uh, how to check in on how people are doing after things today. At least that's my understanding. But I guess for me and also listeners at home that may not know exactly what it means in terms of uh, the nursing world, uh, what is debriefing and what makes it so important? So debriefing can be um, addressing a, it could be a traumatic circumstance, a difficult circumstance, something not going quite right something going in a way that might bring up difficult emotions, um, could be dealing with death in healthcare, dealing with um, emergency situations, dealing with 
violence associated with working in healthcare. There's a lot of different reasons you might need debriefing, but the core of debriefing is it is a tool to be able to address the issue in the moment so that it doesn't fester and boil in the individual and anyone who's involved um, during the incident. And it's something that should be formal and should be used post-incident frequently. And sadly, because of how our system um, doesn't prioritize our well-being, it kind of goes to the wayside and you just have to keep pushing pushing through and um, tucking the emotions away into like a corner, but you really, really need to address it. And so debriefing is the way that we address these dramatic circumstances or critical incidents that can leave a lasting impact on a healthcare worker or a patient. And it's important that we actually get to do that, get to debrief and practice. And I can say personally, in my three years working at the bedside directly, I cannot count how many times I actually had a formal debriefing. And that's a really sad reality that many, many healthcare workers hearing this podcast most likely share. And it's a disservice to all of us. And it's why um, a lot of us struggle with our mental health, because we have to kind of address these things ourselves. And there's just no way to... Um, just let it all pile up for so long and then deal with it later. It's just too much. So being able to actually debrief in the moment is crucial, critical, but it just doesn't happen enough. Carly, what are your thoughts and what are your experiences with debriefing? What does it mean to you? <laughs> no, I think you gave a perfect definition. And at one point, like I guess I'm lucky that being in med surge, it's rare that we have patients with high enough acuity where something goes wrong. But it does happen. Kind of going back what we talked about last week um, when I had a patient that died by suicide. And I wasn't there that day, God bless. But at the same time, I had him as a patient. And so I would have liked someone to pull me aside and say, are you okay? Because I was very much not okay. And I was never debriefed because I wasn't there in the instance. And from my knowledge, I don't know if even the people that were there fully got a formal debriefing. And so it, and it happens a lot. Like we have patients that need to go to a higher level of care. And since it's a fast turnover, like Sarah just said, it's, oh, okay, new bed, new patient, let's go. Let's keep going about your day. And that's all fine and dandy until you get home and you're sitting with the thoughts and feelings and you have nowhere to go with it. And so that's, it's definitely a problem. And I think it's, I'm glad we're discussing it because I feel... <laughs> I had all these feelings and I can only share them with my coworkers, which is lovely, but it was more like, hey, here's a link for a therapist you can go to, but not, you know, it just didn't feel very formal. So it doesn't address what happened. It doesn't validate how anyone felt. It doesn't talk about how it's a possibility that it could impact you. And that's where that level of shame and guilt comes in that you experienced, Carly, because you're missing something. And that's the component that you're missing. It's that your thoughts surrounding the incident are valid. Yeah. I, when I was researching this, something that I encountered was there seemed to be like two competing. I don't know if they're competing as much as not in the same lane uh, goals where one was like something went wrong or it wasn't exactly perfect. And we debrief. So in the future, things will go right. 
And then the other goal seemed to be, oh, we debrief when something goes wrong so that our workers and the people that this event happened to aren't traumatized. <laughs> and so I was like, I don't know if, I, I do think those can live together, but I do think that there's probably something should be prioritized more. And I think it's the second. However, the other thing I ran into is like the concept of debriefing came, um, at least according to some sources I was reading, uh, from the military. And I know that the military takes it like super seriously. Um, and they have the resources to take it super seriously. So I know you both kind of said that you wish that you hope um, and you cannot count the amount of times you have been debriefed, but when you have been and you thought it went well, um, when was that and how do you, what, what made it um, successful in your eyes? I'm glad you brought up the point about how sometimes it can be used when something goes really right and we want to repeat that or when mm-hmm. things go wrong. And I feel like a lot of people might associate debriefing with when things go wrong and how they have to fix their practice moving forward, how sometimes it could have a negative connotation because when it's called out, it's because someone made a mistake that created a really big problem. And it makes like the individual feel bad when it's possible that it was more of a systemic issue. Um, sometimes debriefing can be used in that sense to kind of find what went wrong. And a lot of people associate debriefing with that, I feel like. Sometimes what they experience as debriefing after an incident that made them uncomfortable is they're at huddle and they don't say they don't name names, but they say this mistake happened on this day and it was a an incident and we had to file a report and we have to do all of these things so that that, so that, that doesn't happen again. But it doesn't address the individual that was involved. It doesn't address the team that was involved, where that issue happened, where that mistake happened. And all that does is build shame because it's just shaming everyone in the room for the mistake that happened, whether it's a fall or a medication error or something slipping through the cracks. That that form of debriefing might cause more harm than it causes good. And I have a colleague named Tara Cosmos from Debriefing the Frontlines. They're actually an organization that's nurse-led, similar to Operation Happy Nurse and Don't Clock Out, that focuses on debriefing, formal debriefing for nurses outside of the care setting. So helping them with that unresolved trauma and those unresolved incidents in a one-on-one format. And through their research and through the debriefing sessions that they've done and the data they've collected and studying nurses, nurses in particular, who have gone through incidents without debriefing is that there is what they have called now cumulative caretaking trauma, where a collective of nurses across the country and those that they uh, support through formal debriefing and their debriefing sessions experience this cumulative caretaking trauma that isn't addressed because it's not addressed in the care setting. And so that's when it's being done right. Debriefing the front lines is kind of creating a loophole where you do get that debriefing outside of the care setting that might be failing you. And it's a really, really cool thing, an organization I love and believe in, and I thought I would highlight because 
they're doing it, right? They're doing what's missing. And sadly, I haven't seen debriefing done right. Um, I want to know if Carly has, though. Well, if they're doing it, if they're doing it right. Right. I think that's a great step and a great asset. And I, I don't, I, like I just said, I, I haven't had that many circumstances, thankfully, where I have needed debriefing in the terms of something going wrong. I have had patients that needed to go to a higher, higher level of care. And in those instances, I actually have had my manager and, you know, rapid nurse, sepsis nurse, et cetera, say, you did the right thing. You know, because obviously there's times where it happens at 6.30 p.m. and I'm getting off at 7 and there's the part of you that's like, why now? (laughs) And of course, the nursing side of you, it happens, it happens. You're here to take care of your patient. And so something that I think is beautiful is we do have our nursing instincts. And there's been times where I have noticed, hey, like he just came up from surgery. I saw him before surgery. He was not like this. Something is wrong. And seeing that and uh, knowing that you have the resources and you know who to go to and being, I guess, giving that, getting that positive reinforcement from manager or your charge nurse or your coworkers saying, Hey, shit just hit the fan, but you did a great job. Like I, that's all I need a good pat in the back to be like, you got it, girl, you got it. Yeah. I love that because a lot of what we see is outside of our control. A lot of our, what our patients experience is outside of our control and without that positive feedback or feedback from someone who might understand a little bit better than you or might be able to and have the capacity to take that patient to a higher level of care and understand in a way that is more holistic and bigger picture, that gives you the ability to like interrupt those thoughts where you're going into that downward spiral of what could I have done to have prevented my patient from declining when in reality, there's most likely nothing you could have done. That could have been where their disease process was going to take them based on all of these different variables. And you just happen to be the nurse taking care of them in that moment that they had that rapid decline and ended up needing higher level of care. And a lot of us, myself included, have can be eaten alive by guilt, thinking that there's all these things we could have done to prevent that from happening. When we're not you know, a deity of any sort. We're not sorcerers. Like there's nothing we really can do in those moments except get them to where they need to be and recognize like I am not capable of saving this person's life or getting them stable by myself. And so just even that, Carly, having that person to provide you with that feedback that you did the right thing is almost enough to ensure that you're not thinking about that for days to weeks or having nightmares about it, which is something that can happen without formal debriefing. Right. Definitely. It's really interesting. You've highlighted two, I think, very powerful emotions that can really wear on somebody um, in circumstances like that. Um, You talked about the shame and you've talked about guilt and those two are like pretty interconnected. So, uh, and I know for from just outside um, research, but things that I, I I've encountered in life that those are those are those emotions that you can really uh, help or at least um, somewhat treat uh, just by talking about it, <laughs> which is just it's so it's it sounds so simple, but it's so I don't frustrating that it's not provided 
um, ever is needed. So brings me into one other question I had for you guys, which was um, when I was researching this, um, I found a, a study, and it was done in the UK, but I feel like they are very similar to us. <laughs> they do experience some things differently. I know, like, queuing ah! different there. Biscuits <laughs> and crisps and, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think, generally speaking, their healthcare system, uh, how they... I know that their nurses are always having to advocate for themselves in similar ways. So uh, they they were talking to nurses about what they found um, particularly important for debriefing sessions. And I believe this was group debriefing um, as opposed to one-on-one. So that does kind of affect these answers. But they identified three things that they found the most important, which were uh, just being given the opportunity for reflection, um, the process giving them um, a shared experience with their fellow nurses um, and then having the right peer facilitator um, running the debriefing session. Now, obviously, it would be ideal if we could have all three <laughs> all the time, but if you had to pick one that you would identify as like the most important to you, what would it be? Why, would, why is that? Um, yeah, I think for me is just being able to like verbalize it, identify it and having the space to speak, having the ability to name what is like hurting you or gnawing at you after the incident. I think that's so necessary. And I think it's like integral to the act. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think the bar is pretty low right now. Yeah. Not to be negative. And all I really want is the space to reflect and someone to understand that what you went through is might have been traumatic for you. Let's talk about it. You know, that's, I think that's, we all just want to be heard and mm-hmm. feel that, hey, this kind of interrupted my day and I'm feeling some type of way about it. Why is everybody around me moving on like nothing happened? That's, that's when you start to feel that shame and guilt. Like, why is this hurting me so badly? Everyone else is able to move on, um, which is what I felt in that situation I always talk about. So that's, yeah, I think just having that space and knowing that there's people that will listen to you and you're not alone is just all a lot of us want. Yeah. Yeah. And like when we pointed out like guilt and shame being like the core emotions that you feel when you don't have debriefing, Tara from Debriefing the Frontlines frequently says that guilt and shame are the root for burnout. Like that is what causes burnout and moral injury or moral distress is those festering feelings of guilt and shame. So if we don't debrief, if we don't address those emotions in the moment, that's what it can lead to. And I don't want to you know, diminish though the value in being able to share that experience with your peers. And it's why like Operation Mm -hmm. Happy Nurse exists. It's why Don't Clock Out exists. It's because we know that building community through shared experience is the next component to starting to heal from this collective trauma. So it's just, it it would be nice though if we could have all three, like you said, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'll be honest. When I first heard the word, uh, I was picturing like the 
secret agent coming back from his special mission abroad and being debriefed with like just a one-on-one. And then when I was hearing about the group debrief sessions, I was like, actually, that's kind of interesting too. Like, um, cause shared experience is such a powerful psychological force for healing that I thought that was fascinating. And then I, I guess I didn't really consider that these sessions are often facilitated by here or um, somebody who can relate on a pretty deep level. Because I was just assuming that they might be run by someone whose like, whole profession is that, um, like their whole focus. But I, I uh, wonder the diff- different values in that. Because I do think there are people that are just like good to talk to, you know? Where you're like, wow, you're like really listening to me and like really just like feeling what I'm feeling and, but not, uh, just fitting back negativity, which I think can happen. Sometimes we just need to vent to somebody and having them vent with us is fun. Um, and can be, uh, relieving in a lot of ways, but like also having somebody who knows what they're doing, um, to facilitate in a way a positive direction. <laughs> It's also valuable. Like, definitely, I definitely see that. Yeah, you don't want it to just be like a trauma bond, you know? We already do that enough. And I love that you thought of us being super spies. I wish (laughs) that I was Kim Kim Possible at work. That would be wonderful. (laughs) But I'm sure everyone listening can think of, like, a peer who they would be open to share that with who they might informally already be sharing how they feel with. Right. And so if we could just implement that in a more structured way, in a safer way that is actually adhered by facilities frequently and like just talking to the importance of debriefing, I think we could help prevent a lot of the shame and guilt and then associated burnout and moral injury. If we just paid attention to how simply sharing how we feel after really difficult incidents can help protect and preserve our well-being. And I love how you even identified, Joe, that it is simple. Like, why isn't this happening on a fuller scale? And it's heartbreaking to me. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. And I can speak for myself that there's been those moments where you think, what if, what if, what if, did I not see it? Like, why did I not see it? I was with that patient for a couple of days and et cetera, et cetera. And it's just a cycle. And a lot of times you don't have everybody there during that moment. And so like during the actual event that happened. And so you only have a certain amount of people you can talk to and everyone grieves and has their own things going on. So it's, it's difficult. And I would, I think it would be very beneficial to just stop go to a room, have somebody facilitate something, or even just go to the huddle and have your own friends, peers, coworkers, and just be able to talk about what happened because it just it's like everything's just go, 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 go. And it's hard. Yeah. I think I have my own theories for why oh, people to just give the space to talk. Like, not a sociologist, but I feel like there is, and we already mentioned the UK, but there's that whole definitely English and American and other cultures where it's just like, I'm going to never talk about how I'm feeling. There's a John Mulaney joke. It's like, keep my, all, all my emotions in here and then one day I'll die. 
And like, <laughs> it's just like not a, not a healthy way to approach life. But like in my own family, that's how for like most of my bringing, we definitely probably leaned that direction more than uh, anything else. And like, I think in the last decade, there's been like so much growth not in that direction. A lot of it led by my older sister because she's very stubborn and just pushed us to not, to like not hold things in. So I give her a lot of credit. But uh, I, I do think that it's, I, I think it's a societal level problem of just, and I mean, you, nurses talk about this all the time, but like, you gotta be tough, you gotta, gotta never acknowledge when you're struggling. Um, and I do think that's particularly present in the nursing profession, but I also think though, ever present everywhere. <laughs> and- yeah, definitely ingrained in so many facets of our culture. And I'm the cycle breaker in my family, like being Dominican and from, you know, a different country and having this sh- culture that really does not allow for speaking to our emotions and identifying why we feel the way that we feel. A lot of codependency, so many issues that we have to disrupt. And just me going to therapy, me being so outspoken about mental health is disrupting like generational curses and also making it more likely that my cousins and my brother and my family decides to pay attention to how they're feeling and start talking about how they feel. And it's a beautiful thing, but it's also like daunting and scary at the same time. But I think you're right, Joe. There's so many barriers to just talking about the things that we feel um, in response to our environment, in response to our work, in response to our family, our friends. And in nursing, it's such a human-centered career and space and we see some of the best and worst of people where they're in some of the most difficult moments and some of the most beautiful moments of people's lives and the fact that we don't talk about how that impacts us as human beings as frequently as we should is it's such a disservice I feel like to not only ourselves but our patients as well because I feel like we can make them feel more human too in their experiences and in their emotions because we know it's like it's not easy to be a patient it's not easy to be a patient especially under the current system and a lot of the times we're projecting how we feel on each other and it just becomes more and more just harmful and destructive when it could be something so much better (laughs) yeah yeah No, it's true. I just had an admission the other day and I asked the normal mission questions, you know, do you have history of anxiety, depression, SI, et cetera. And you're like, oh my gosh, you're the first person to ever ask me that at a hospital. I was like, wait, what? And turns out they have history of anxiety and depression. And then the second thing I ask is what medications do you take for that? Because it's something that we need to talk about. And a lot of times you don't realize these people have been in the hospital for a week and haven't been on their very important mental health medications that they haven't been on. And then they're like, oh, why is this patient all quote unquote crazy? And it's like, okay, let's not use that terminology, but let's go down to why they're acting this way. Oh no, crap. They didn't like start their meds. It's just like, it's very frustrating. And I do think on a positive side, we're in a place where like, I feel comfortable now talking about that with patients and they feel comfortable talking to me about it. And I'm just happy that 
like you said, I, I think there's a lot of people in our generation that are breaking that down and hopefully making people more comfortable in general to talk about mental health. So that makes me happy. Yeah. That's why we're here. <laughs> yes. And that's why we're here Yeah, <laughs> on this podcast. I'm on the, you mentioned cousin Sarah. I'm on the higher age uh, side of my whole range of cousins. And I have some like Younger cousins, I guess they're actually pretty old now because they're like going to college soon. <laughs> I'm like, ha! they're always babies to us. I know. I know. I know. I I can't imagine a, a few of them as anything but like eight. Anyway, uh, one of my cousins, he's uh, like kind of a stereotypical like dude, <laughs> like just you know, uh, he plays golf, all this stuff. Uh, kind of like a, a, a dude's dude. Um, but he's the way he like talks about how he's feeling and how he approaches his friends and controversies. I'm just like, oh my god, I would have had such a healthier ex- uh, experience in high school if I was right? like this. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just like, awesome. wow, yeah, <laughs> things have changed. <laughs> yeah, no, both my sisters are like, what the hell? <laughs> like, dude, this happened so quick. I know my little sister is the <laughs> first one to start going to therapy, and she actually made me want to go to therapy and i think that's beautiful it's like i love you good for you girl break that stigma Uh, all right well i have one final question for you guys um this is kind of on the that first definition of debriefing but it can also be applied to this second um which is i think being supportive when things go right is something sarah identified as something that debriefing can also be very useful for um so but things have gone right. Um, you remember a time or a method where you felt particularly supported by either the coworkers around you or the system at large? I did have a patient uh, a couple weeks ago. It might have been months now. It all blends together. But I did have a patient that was in for alcohol withdrawal. Um, but when I I came around and did my morning rounds and I you start to learn. It's been six years now for me. Just looking at the patient, I was thinking he is unwell, uh, and not just normal with normal symptoms you would see with alcohol withdrawal that we learn. But just in general, his his respirations were heavy. He was looked like he was struggling to breathe, and so immediately respiratory was there, which was very convenient. Um, and long story short, realized he needed to be transferred to a higher level, but. I was fighting with some of the staff members politely because they were saying, oh, he doesn't need to be transferred out just now. Like we have a bed, but I think he's fine here. And I was just very frustrated because we're on a five to one floor right now. It's just very busy. And I said, I don't feel safe taking care of him. I cannot be in here as much as I need to be, as much as I want to be in order to take care of him properly. And long story short, he eventually got transferred out and my charger said, good for you. You stood your ground. You know, you were respectful, but you also did a good job of taking, you know, making sure that he is going to where he needs to be to get the care that he deserves. And I just, just like, good job, girl. And that just made me feel really good because I felt like I was being a bitch all morning because I just kept saying like, I do, I said, I don't, it's not that I don't want this patient. I will take care of him, but I cannot take care of him in these conditions because I have four other patients I have to watch that need me as well. And it's just one of those things that you have to advocate for your patient and also understand that you might step on some toes, but you'll get shit done. So, (laughs) but yes, that was a time where I felt like, ah, I wasn't as, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And she's like, no, you did great. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) No, I like that. 
Yeah. And it's, it's not easy to like speak up for yourself and your patients the way that you did in that moment, Carly. It's like, it's really hard. It's really vulnerable. It's like, no, I cannot do this if I don't have these needs met. Right. And it's like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about yeah. it. Not only just for my sake, but also for this patient. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people might not even have done that. Might have been easier to not deal with that, right? But in the long run, the patient's the one suffering. Yeah, you get that backbone so. and that helps a lot. But I think first or second year Carly would have been like, okay, that's fine. But now I'm at a place where I know everybody enough to be like, this isn't cool. Yeah. You wouldn't do that to somebody. No, no. <laughs> you know. I think somebody just identifying how you use those soft skills is really helpful for having things continue to go that way. Like, because as you said, you were worried about <laughs> coming off yes, we'll <laughs> as a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that word. And, uh, and yeah, that it, I got there's so many like that where you, you know something's being done wrong or something needs to change, but you have to be the one to say something. So having somebody either around you or higher up or something, just giving you a, hey, that was correct, do that again in the future. Yeah, just that, really that's great. the positive debriefing. <laughs> yeah. I just need that feedback to know. The bare minimum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the bar is on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bar is underground. Satan is <laughs> limboing the hell. bar. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway oh i love uh, that yeah well, i think i think we kind of tackled as much as i wanted to get uh tackled today uh i am i'm hoping that anybody who has any ability to pull any levers uh could hear this and maybe put a little bit more emphasis on debriefing um i'm kind of a little dismayed to hear your experiences uh <laughs> I was reading so many like esoteric, like high-minded research articles about debriefing that were like, this happens all the time. This is something that occurs daily. And so I hope perfect world. Yes. I hope and I believe that we can reach the point where it does happen because I mean, not to keep bringing up the military, but clearly they know that it's worthwhile for people who have been traumatized. So. Hopefully that can keep getting into society at large. Um, cause yeah, when we support people, they are, they do better in all aspects. But, but thank you again, guys, for uh, being here with me today. Um, and uh, if you ever need somebody to help you debrief, I'm always here. Oh, thank you. So is Don't Clock Out and Operation Happy Nurse. We're always here for you guys if you need us. So. Yes. And you have support. Just, yes. you know, speak up for yourselves. Speak up for your your colleagues. You deserve it. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but so long for now. Thank you, everyone. Bye.